This episode is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada's Radio Meters Program. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CITR 11.9 FM. Um, we'd like to begin by expressing immense gratitude to the Musqueam people on whose traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory we operate on as a club, as the UBC Film Society, um, and on which we're recording today. Um, we invite you to reflect on the land on which you reside and uh, who that land belongs to. And we encourage you to also consider the representation or lack thereof of Indigenous people uh, in the films uh, you watch at or outside of our events. Um, today, we're joined by, uh, by Becca, um, a, uh, a film writer um, and filmmaker. Um, we're super excited to have her on. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, so, uh, Becca, um, I guess we'll start with... Uh, you are, I, I guess we'll start with where you, you got into film. Um, I saw, I watched some of your earlier uh, short films um, with uh, featuring um, our mutual friend, Tom, uh, his sister, uh, yeah. Emma, and uh, her grandmother. And I, I guess it'd be interesting to see, like, was that kind of like your first foray into filmmaking? Like, how did that, how did that come, come about? Yeah, so uh, I had to make a uh, first year film on a one of those old hand crank Bolex cameras mm -hmm. um, and I was going to SFU film school at the time and in your first year those were the ones that you that you uh, you started with and uh, they give you like a roll of film and the camera and you take it for the weekend and make something and most people went experimental but I went to Tom's house it was like I think it was the weekend of the 20 the opening of the 2010 Olympics. <laughs> okay. Um, I went to his house and uh, I took videos of his sister, Emma, who was seven at the time, and their grandma, who uh, was, I think, 87 at the time. Um, so I just took footage of them throughout, you know, doing things that I'd seen them do before. So uh, just sort of like cranked it up and let them like she grandma was teaching Emma how to like do some cooking and then you know crank the camera a little bit more and watch them uh, go for like they walk to the grocery store yeah. um, and that was uh, it turned into a documentary called Belle and Emma which I entered in a bunch of film festivals over the years and uh it's like it did really well for being my sh my first short uh it was just like three minutes um no sync sound or anything like I did interviews after that I played over mm -hmm. um and uh it, it won first place uh in the documentary category um for the um women over 50 film festival in in um Brighton England so that was cool um, it played before, as a part of that, it like played um, in theaters in London before feature films for, for a week, which was pretty cool. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so just for like, that was my first, that was my first year film and, uh, and had a lot of success with that. And just like, I think that got me into like the sort of fun, cute kind of thing. Like my films are always really... I, I aim for cute. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, that kind of started it. And then I, uh, and then I, I did a, a faux film noir uh, with, uh, cool. with two friends of mine uh, where we shot it in black and white on 16 mil. Um, and it was like, uh, we even shot like, again, Tom, so like our mutual friend, he, yeah. uh, I shot, there's like this big alley scene where like someone finds a dead, they think they find a dead body. That's actually a mannequin. Uh, and it's behind his dad's store. Uh, and like everything we shot, I always shot at his house and stuff. Um, so just like a lot of support from, from that family. And then the next film that I did was Spells and Spoons, which I shot at their house again. And that one had Tom and Emma as the two kids. Okay. Um, and uh, and then the next one was a short film in my third year of film school called Humbug, which I cast Bill Dow from. Uh, he's a local local actor uh, who was in things like Stargate and and stuff like that and like oh. Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I cast him, and uh, again, I got like 
the support from that family. They like rounded up all of the kids that they knew for the last scene because I needed like 30 kids. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone like came came to Carousel Elementary School one afternoon. Um, but I just like I stuck with really small scripts and really small like locations and sort of like the same the same uh sort of people uh and would have like you know five person six person crews plus myself um for my shorts and yeah that was that was it was like I wanted to make film school like fun and not too crazy because people can get pretty crazy with their with their school films Yeah. (laughs) yeah um so you went to SFU for film school. What, why did you decide to pursue film uh, at SFU? And, and, and were you making films like before that? Or, or yeah, what was like your entry point to decide uh, to go to film school? Before I went to SFU, I was actually attending the University of New Brunswick in Fredericton and uh, started in the science program. That didn't pan out. <laughs> so I ended up in, uh, in the English program. And then because uh, I've, I've always enjoyed writing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I, it, it turns out that at Fredericton, the, the school's pretty small. So uh, the theater department is in the English department. So you can do an English degree and just like do theater all the time. So, <laughs> so I decided to like really embrace the theater side. Uh, and then that sort of uh, took me to, um, to SFU. I applied on a whim, just like to the program and uh and had a couple interviews they have a pretty lengthy process to get in um but uh it just worked out because my best friend at the time was tom's cousin uh our mutual friend uh and um her parents were moving to vancouver at the same time i got into film school so i lived with them on the roof of the what was then the tinseltown movie theater in, in a little townhouse oh, cool. so it was perfect place for a film student to live like down by the new woodward's building uh and on the roof of a movie theater nice that's wow. cool um i think it's really cool that like you mentioned you shot your first couple of films in school um on film um obviously like they don't really film students don't do that anymore really um I mean, a couple of like the really artistic ones um, will kind of they'll go with film, but all like now people just cost effect cost wise, they just go with digital. Um, what was it? Was that like normal for everyone to, to use? I guess you mentioned that they kind of gave you a crank camera and you just let it let it go. Um, what was it like working with film? Because it's not really something people do a lot anymore. Yeah, so uh, the first and second years at the time when I was going to SFU were expected to shoot on 16 mil. Um, the first cameras you use are uh, are the Bolexes and then you move up to like, the, I think they're little like Aeroflex ones. But um, uh, everyone just, you, you, you basically, you have to do, you have to shoot on film. Um, the year before us even had to edit their... Uh, second year films on the um on the editing tables the really big like giant iron like super heavy editing tables with like they would hang up like you'd go into the rooms and they would like have all of their shots hanging up and labeled with with little like safety pins and stuff all pinned up and uh, you'd have to like edit the sound on like on like the mag strip um yeah yeah, but we looked at we got to do the first year of film to digital transfer. So first year we shot and edited on the um, the editing tables, and then second year we shot, and then we got to go to uh, I guess Deluxe um, now is is sort of in with another company, but it was through like the Deluxe. Um, film people so they did a scan of our films and it felt like super pro because you get to be there while they're doing the transfer and they like they kind of do a quick like um, color correction and stuff for you while you're getting it transferred yeah um but it, it involved things like you think it's going to be really cool to shoot on film and then like the day of a big scene where you've got like three actors and some extras and it's like your biggest day and someone forgets this happened to us someone forgot the film back at their house in Burnaby yeah Yeah. okay (laughs) so it's like two hours later you get started two hours later and then 
you're all really nervous because you're uh, working on film and like between shots, there's someone in the back, like with their hands in the dark bag, trying to reload the mags. Um, and then I, uh, I was unloading, we forgot to unload one of the mags. And then I opened one of the cans that, that had a roll of film in it that was uh that like got light exposed but yeah, it was yeah. only open for a second so they actually were they managed to um they managed to uh salvage that at the during the transfer because they cut the uh they cropped the edge of the film off that had okay. been exposed yeah so it was like whew. <laughs> but it was just I, I found it a lot more stressful because then in third year we switched to digital and it was just like we shot so much more footage yeah well, that's and, obviously like the main yeah. thing I think with, with digital and, and film is like, you have to be so much more selective with what you're shooting because you have a finite amount of film. I mean, with digital, you also have a finite amount of storage, but it's really not uh, comparable. Yeah. So it, I, yeah. yeah. It's, things, it, it's things like you have, you don't think about it, but like, I remember us shooting in a living room and you know, you can hear the whirring of the camera all the time. So like mm. you throw sound blankets over the poor camera guy who's like, <laughs> and, and the camera and you just have the little lens sticking out yeah. um, because you don't want to hear that, like that whirring. And yeah. you're just like, that's not even a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I mean, we'd love, we, we would like to shoot on film sometime, but like I said, like the co like cost, cost wise, it just doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. But um yeah, that must have been cool to, to have that opportunity. Um, I guess it'd be interesting just to like you, you mentioned how you went um, to went into science before you went into film was like, mm -hmm. was that was film always a thing that you're like kind of interested in like longing to do or is it did you just happen into it like how did that happen. Um, I did acting in high school uh, first, and then that's how I sort of was like oh I should do that for fun and it turns out that I can do it as part of my English degree. Um, so yeah, that's how I, I kind of like went over. I didn't think about uh, like writing or directing uh, or anything, but uh, I did get really excited about about movies starting around, I would say, age 10 or 11. I watched mm -hmm. the original um, Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes and was just yeah. like, I was just uh, completely in love with like the soundtrack uh -huh. And I don't know if you've seen it, but the soundtrack is like, yeah, uh, it's like, yeah, 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 it's so classic. And like, yeah. uh, I just really liked how like everybody just seemed to be going all in on this like very silly idea. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> it's it very like, campy oh. and weird. Yeah, yeah, it was like, even then when they were shooting it, they must have known that. Yeah. Like yeah, they're yeah. shooting a movie with people in ape suits. Like you got to commit. Yeah. You got to, you, you really have to like go Well, I imagine it. it has like this connection to like, you know, like um, cheapy movies where they would just kind of like exploit these weird, weird looking costumes all the time to make, you know, to see, see if it stuck. Um, yeah. But I, it's a, it's a pretty awesome film. I, it's, it's, it's got one of the great twists, like pretty early on when you find out what's happened, where they yeah. are. Um, and yeah. uh, I think that like that twist, and just like the full commitment to the camp and the soundtrack yeah. and um, this, and that sort of got me into, I really got into, into sci-fi and started watching more sci-fi. And then I started watching like um, Stargate and X-Files and that kind of thing. Uh, and then in university, like the, the when I was in the first two years uh, in New Brunswick, um, I was like, man, they're like making all of my favorite shows in Vancouver. And so that's yeah. originally what brought me to SFU is I was like, I was just like binging all of these shows that were shot in Vancouver. And I was like, well, that seems, that seems like where they're doing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, they do. They shoot a lot here. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so you went on. So how, where, where did you go after you graduated university? Did you decide to like go into writing more specifically or how did, how did that go? Yeah. So uh, I did a short um I graduated took like six months off and did just a little bit of traveling with my partner um and then I ended up um like I I think I like house sat that next summer I didn't really do a whole lot um and then um I shot uh I shot a film 
called um, Necromance right after school. I sort of like wrote that during it was just a little a little short film about postal workers working in purgatory. Because <laughs> like I, I like the idea of everybody just like waiting around, but the mail still has to the mail yeah. still has to get around purgatory, but everybody's just like mm-hmm. kind of waiting to move on. And like, you yeah. know, like, the world's just full of these people who are like died naturally. Some people died in car accidents. So it was like kind of yeah. this cute idea of like everybody is in purgatory the way that they died. Uh, okay. Interesting. So just like fantasy and romance uh, was uh-huh. sort of my, was sort of like high on my, on my, my like, that's the kind of thing I wanted to do. So I wanted to make like another short film maybe to go to festivals and stuff like that. Um, but then just as we were finishing post on that, I got pancreatic cancer mm. and I was, uh, I had like a big surgery, like the night before my surgery, uh, I got the last shots for, for uh, my Visifex, for my, for my two Visifex guys. Uh-huh. Um, so I kind of like had to hit pause on that. I didn't get it done as soon as I thought I would. So it ended up having to go out to the next round of of festivals and stuff. But I had this like crazy surgery that removed a bunch of my internal organs. So (laughs) I, uh, I couldn't really like, um, I couldn't really be on set anymore. Yeah. Uh, I needed a lot more downtime than when I was in film school. And I was like, yeah, set is fun. Like, even though you have to be there, like crazy hours and you know sometimes it's cold or rainy and sometimes you don't get enough to eat or enough pee breaks um Mm, it was still like my body could do it but my body couldn't really do it anymore so I was like what can I do and there was sort of this like year of recovery where I got really depressed and felt like um like everybody else was moving ahead of me and like I was just stuck and that I was nothing was ever going to come of my film career because I got sidetracked um and then and then I was like I should just commit to this writing thing because I can write from home and it seemed really accessible when you can't um be like lifting standing uh doing stuff for 14 to 16 hours a day um and I had heard a lot of sort of horror stories of people who had written for years and never really did anything and I was sort of scared that that was going to happen to me but I just decided to go for it and think that like maybe I'll figure something out as a backup yeah yeah (laughs) so uh that's what I did and I started by uh writing a bunch of spec stuff and I um uh, sent it to a couple of agencies there's actually not very many writing agencies in Vancouver Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent it out to a couple and my top choice emailed me back right away and wanted to have an interview. So, um, but between that, like, let's be clear, it was not right away. It was like three year period, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, between like finishing school and like sending this out, getting an agent and stuff. Um, and a couple of just like really slow years. Yeah. <laughs> where I was like should I quit I should probably quit should I quit I could quit maybe I'll quit Uh and then like just every time my boyfriend would be like don't quit just keep going um and uh and I got my got my agent and I I just like in the sit down meeting I didn't really know she asked like what I wanted to write and I was I was like honestly just about anything and and I said I the the way that I got into doing rom-coms is I just asked her who on your roster works the most and like sells the most scripts. And I'm not talking about like big budget stuff, just who, who works the most and writes the most. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Oh man, TV, TV movies. Like there's no, like there's no comparison. Like the the people who do like the big budget um, features, like they might sell one every like three to five years if they're lucky. And um tv writers like might have a a season of a show and then nothing for years um so but she said like I have a couple of writers who they're mostly women um and they uh they work from home they have kids they write these rom-com tv scripts and or uh the other the other like side of that is you either do the rom-coms or the rom-coms um 
they're they're polar opposite which is those thrillers which they used to call like um women in peril ones where it's like someone's kidnapped or like someone stole my baby yeah uh those uh that's sort of like that's sort of in the same category of just tv movies uh so yeah she said tv movies that's where everybody was was getting the most work and she had a couple of writers who were just like selling you know between one and three scripts a year um and and getting stuff made and it wasn't like super crazy budget or anything like that but yeah that's how I got into writing the uh the rom-coms yeah that's really cool that's awesome um that's obviously a long a long way a long road to get to that but we were going to ask how you got into writing these these hallmark films and that kind of answers it it's pretty it's pretty interesting um I think what we'll do is we'll take a quick break and then we'll, we'll get back into it Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it, and we'll give you half of your money back, as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. We'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us, minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. The Vancouver Podcast Festival, presented by DOXA, returns for its fourth edition on November 20th. The festival will once again take place online in a special conference-style format featuring two masterclasses, two panel discussions, and two social events. The Vancouver Podcast Festival aims to support a better understanding of the complexity of our times through engaging the public in podcasts as an art form and a medium of social change. Visit vanpodfest.ca for details and further updates. Okay, welcome back to CITR 101.9 FM. This is The Real World, and we're joined by Becca Johnson, uh, Johansson. Sorry. Um, yeah, so we just talked about how uh, Becca made her way into writing um, these rom-com TV uh, movies, Um and we saw that a new one was just released called A, a Love Yarn. Yeah. Love yeah. Yarn. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to ask you specifically about that project and uh, and I guess your writing process and, and how that came to be. Okay. Uh, a Love Yarn is actually a really interesting story because right after I talked to my agent, uh, 
that uh, that fateful day when I asked her what I should do. Uh, she uh, she said, you know, write about something, you know, write a rom-com about something that you know a lot about because then it'll be easy. And uh, I really like knitting. So I was like, I'm going to write. I had this really great idea. There's this there's this knitting curse that is very well known and it's called the sweater curse. And okay. it's, and it's, it's every, all the, all the knitters know it. It's uh, it's, it's knitter lore. Um, you're not supposed to knit a sweater for your boyfriend before you're married. Otherwise yeah. he'll leave you. That's the curse. The curse is that <laughs> if you give him a sweater, he'll leave you. Um, so I was like, that would make such a good rom-com. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was kind of, I kind of wanted to do Christmas like I, I I thought it would be really fun to do like a knitting Christmas movie so I incorporated the Christmas sweater into this knitting Christmas movie and I wrote it in about eight days Wow! and then um, and it was really fun because it's, it's like it was my first one that I'd written so I just like watched a whole bunch of these Hallmark movies and then uh, I was like, I was, I was like picturing, you know, there's all the different scenes that are sort of like in all of these movies. And I'm like, will they get snowed in or will they go ice skating? Will they go <laughs> looking for a tree or will they go to a Christmas market? And it was, it was just like <laughs> so lovely and frivolous. <laughs> I love just, I love just how like, you know, exactly what's going to happen. So uh, that first movie that I did was like, just fun and I did it I did it more just like it was it was something that like really inspired me and uh brought me sort of out of my funk of like what should I be what should I what should I do in in writing um and then that one sat around for a little while and I wrote several other features and um they kind of shop them around you write specs at the beginning and they um like you have to write a whole script without knowing if you're going to sell it. And then you send it around to places mm-hmm. and it was taking a while. And it was like, it was like another, like two years of just like sending stuff around and writing more specs and talking to my agent and being like, what do people need and trying to get feedback from her so that I could um, get ideas of what else to write. So I just watched a whole bunch more Hallmark movies and just like came up with, with this stuff. Um, but um, the f- I got this call in 2019. Um, I guess it would have been, yeah, it would have been like around this time, around like November 2019 or December. Mm-hmm. But it was around then I got a call that um, a company in Sendo in Toronto wanted to buy my Christmas movie, my knitting Christmas movie. And the phone call was just, I just got an email from my agent saying like, they want to have a call with you. And then like, I'm on the call, they're talking about how much they like it. They're not really saying anything. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And then at the end of the call, he's like, so in case you didn't know, this means that we're going to make your movie. And I was like, amazing. Like, okay. uh, Brilliant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What do I do next? And then uh, they were so amazing. It was, uh, it just felt like so legit. They have, uh, they have everything is done really, really through all the proper channels. It's not like film student films that felt like everything was just like cobbled together. It just felt like I was working with people who knew what to do. And um, the funny thing is that this company, this was the first rom-com that they had done. They hadn't done, they were sort Mm -hmm. of like, this was their, they were expanding into doing uh, TV, TV rom-coms. Prior to that, it was like, I think thrillers and they were more doing like thrillers and documentaries and stuff. Mm. Um, but uh, they they wanted to, you might be able to hear my three year screaming in the background. Okay. <laughs> but also okay. another reason why I work at home. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I occasionally take important calls in the car. I took that, that important phone call with the producers about my movie in the car. In the car? <laughs> You can't nice. take chances. The car is yeah. my like safe office. Uh, <laughs> I can still get Wi-Fi if I park in front of my house. So that's, there you go. That's yeah. What I do. Uh, but the really cool thing about uh, about this was like I felt really new and like I didn't know what I was doing. But they, 
uh, brought in uh, script editors to look through and they'd send you notes. And I got this really awesome script editor from LA who um, he gave me some fantastic advice and uh, we uh, developed a really nice rapport and had lots of um, sort of like favorite things in common that we could throw back and forth. Um, and so I got like, I felt really supported, uh, which I don't know if that is super common, but mm-hmm. uh, it was nice as a first time uh, feature writer to have that. So then we wrote it and they're like, I passed in the last edit of that script, uh, March 7th, uh, 2020, right before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And I passed it in and then COVID hits. And then I'm like, well, crap. Uh, it's never going to get made. It's never like nothing's ever going to happen with it um, because it was uh, they were planning to shoot it in May in Montreal. Mm-hmm. OK, so like, so they so they didn't always plan to do it in New Zealand. Was no, New Zealand, so I was going to say that that must have been yeah, why they shot in New Zealand. Yeah, it was. Cool. So so it was like and Quebec was not doing great with COVID at the time. And it was sort of yeah. like, well, definitely not. I was going to go there, too. Uh, mm-hmm. to visit friends and and hang it on the set um but uh they were like you know we have to cancel it because of covid uh, understandably and i was like yeah okay okay and then i was feeling kind of bummed out for a couple of months and then mm-hmm. uh in july i just got this random email that was like oh we need you to go to a notary to sign over the rights of your script to our new zealand the portion of our like our the branch of our new new zealand company and i was like wait what and they were like oh yeah we're shooting it in new zealand in like two weeks (laughs) (laughs) and i was like oh cool 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 uh yeah i didn't know about that nobody nobody tells me anything (laughs) Uh, so i went to the notary signed it off and then they everything went really fast from then they uh they just like cast it set it up and uh shot it the last i think it was the last two weeks of july no it was the last two weeks of august first week of september i think um in a little town a lot of it was shot in a little town i think it's called maracana um on the coast and um, they had lots of sheep. They had mm-hmm. uh, a mill, um, yeah. and they didn't have any COVID really. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so it was perfect. Although with the COVID, it meant that none of the Canadian, uh, you know, component, the the production component, got to go there. So mm-hmm. it was all yeah. just like. But the nice thing about it is, it was that way. It could be a Canada New Zealand co-production with Telefilm. Right, and yeah. then you get extra money from each from each um, country. So it ended yeah. up going from a two million dollar film to a two and a half million dollar film, which is a pretty big bump in terms of percentage. Uh-huh. So I think it made yeah. it look a lot nicer too. Um, and then uh, I, you know, I, I saw all the stills and stuff like that, and and uh, it was a while. It took a while to come out and come out in different places. It like TV movies air in different places at different times. Mm-hmm. And it's not always on, you know, it's not always on like a network. It was on a streaming service in the States first, and then it aired on a network in France. And then it was like, it bounced around. And now it finally is on uh, City TV here. Um, I think you can still watch it. It's on awesome. their, it's through their Fall in Love Fridays component. Okay. They're like a little category. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it ended up being way more beautiful uh, than, than I thought it was going to be because it's just like, New Zealand coastline and ocean <laughs> and absolutely breathtaking scenery and yeah. all the fun accents and stuff. Um, and it was really cool to finally, I actually had to bootleg it to see it the first time <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. it hadn't aired in Canada yet and yeah. I didn't have a way to see it. So uh, I had to bootleg my own movie. They couldn't send you a screening link? Uh, I <laughs> I didn't even bother to ask. I was like, no one tells me anything. Uh, That's just how these things work. They like, they just kind of move on to the next thing. Uh Uh, So, but I knew through a friend that it, uh, it was on this one site. So I was like, okay, cool. So I watched my movie uh, that way the first time. And it was really interesting because they had to switch around some things because of obviously location differences between um, Mm -hmm. New Zealand and Canada, Mm -hmm. specifically suburban Montreal. So um they changed a couple of things they added some local flavors they had a new zealand um 
writer do an edit and add in some local flair and stuff. Um, and they added in some funny stuff and I was like, perfect, great. And it just was like, it was a really nice surprise. Um, the way that it, the way that it came out, it's, it's super pretty. It's peak cheese. Like yeah. you can't, you yeah. can't call it anything else. It is peak cheese. Um, <laughs> but it's so, it's so much fun. It's yeah. like the first, the first sheep, I think of the first sheep, the first shot of the movie is a sheep. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's uh, perfect for, not just like knitters or Hallmark fans, but um, all of the dudes in my life said that they uh, yeah. enjoyed some of the bits too. And yeah, so, you know, I think those kind of movies are just people pleasers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I was going to say, like, I guess that you said they hired a, a New Zealand writer, like they didn't pro- approach you about doing any rewrites for, for the move or anything. It just kind of went on without you after, at that point. Yeah. So they would, if it, if it had shot in, um, if it had shot in Montreal, like it was supposed to, I would have been the set, like the writer that, you know, fixed mm-hmm. things in case the, you know, they had yeah. to switch a location or something, but I don't know any of the lingo for yeah. New Zealand or, uh, yeah. the location, like things specific to the location. So, um, I'm actually happy that they didn't, <laughs> they didn't get me to, um, yeah. they changed, they added and changed a few things that were like in the knitting and like yarn world were not a hundred percent. Like they were a little bit off, um, with like, with some of the yarn facts, but considering how many hands it went through and, uh, the fact that there was not like there, they had a knitting like consultant on set, but, uh, the fact that it ended up as like true to that world, um, as possible, like the, um, the main character is Sophie and she's based on my friend Glenda who owned uh, wet coast wools, a yarn store here in Vancouver. And when she popped up on screen, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Hallmark Glenda. Like it's so much <laughs> the way that I had described the character. I was, it just like, they found someone who looked so much like her. It was, it was yeah. a lot of fun. That's great. Um, yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, when you sold this, this was your, it was obviously the first one you sold. Um, was, was this also the first feature length film that you had written or had you written feature length films before this one? Uh, I'd only written uh, like two feature specs that were sort of like one of them was just like strictly like drama with a little bit of romance and Mm -hmm. the other one was kind of sci-fi that ended up I actually ended up like splitting up into a um, a spec for a tv series Um, but in terms of like uh, the rom-coms that I've been doing this was the first feature one that I wrote and it's the first one that sold and got made which felt really fortuitous yeah that's amazing um how, how do you like approach your writing like do you do you outline like heavily uh do you sort of just like have like one idea and you just write and see where it takes you or like how, how does how does your writing process look like I guess um so I, I usually uh start with just like um because often now what I do is I send out a, a one sheet so you don't have to write the whole script. Once you've sold mm-hmm. a script and you've kind of like proven yourself a little bit, you don't have to write so many full length uh, feature specs. So uh, I usually start with a one sheet, which is just like I come up with sometimes the cheesy name is the first thing that I come up with because I like they, they're usually like rhymey or um, sort of like uh, based on sayings or, or things like that. And uh, so uh, either the uh, the thing that the person like, I guess with the rom-coms, there's always because they're so formulaic, the the main character is a girl and she usually has some sort of an occupation. And if she doesn't, she ends up with one. So I usually kind of think of the occupation first Mm -hmm. Um, and like, what is uh, what does this character do? And then I think of a problem for them to have. I write the log line, which is basically like so-and-so who is, has this job, has this problem. Mm-hmm. And then I write a one page of sort of like very vague what could happen. Um, yeah. You never really go like this happens and this happens and this happens in a one sheet. It's sort of like, you know, this, um, this character, you know, has this problem with men and you know is really picky and likes 
grilled cheese sandwiches and she opens a grilled cheese truck and there's like you could just come up with stuff yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really like the the ideas don't have to be gold they just have to be kind of fun so yeah uh like you think of things like food trucks are fun uh baking is fun um owning a knitting store uh, the one that I'm writing right now uh, for uh, for a production company in Toronto is uh, is about uh, a butterfly scientist. Right, I've heard, we've heard someone of this one actually. Yeah, yeah, someone who studies bugs, um, and, uh, and and yeah, so usually it's like I think of I think of something fun that this person could do, and and mm. the key to these kind of movies is you want it to be a little bit aspirational. You want something that people could see themselves doing and it being kind of fun. So mm-hmm. I just think about things that I like to do. And then the, the stories come pretty naturally. Um, the hard part is um, after you send out the one sheet, you then you have to write the whole script if they ask you to. And then you're like, well, crap, I have to figure out how to resolve this problem <laughs> that I created <laughs> in the one sheet and just yeah. said like, through the magic of friendship, they have managed to, you know, they they work this out or whatever. You can be really vague in the one sheet. And then later on, you go back and you're like, great, now I have to think of a way to solve this problem. Yeah. So that's actually like the hard brain work, I would say. I pick my, my uh, partner's uh, brain quite a bit on that one. I'll be like, okay, I've got this, like, I've got this woman, she's a baker and she, <laughs> and she's having, she's having a problem with this dude. And he's like a real estate mogul. And, he, and then he like, he's really good at, uh, at asking me questions to, to get my brain going. So it's a uh-huh. good partnership there. Um, and, uh, and he's not too above the, the sort of cheesiness of it so he really gets gets into it um so it's nice to have someone to like bounce ideas off of um sometimes I go to my friend's place on Bowen Island and we just like drink martinis and sit in their hot tub and come up with ridiculous things I think that's how I came up with like I have one that's being shopped around right now that's about a stained glass artist um who does restorations um so kind of just like solving the problem of what happens. And then I just write like a three page outline. So it's like log line and title one sheet. And then one sheet becomes this sort of like three pages of really boring. This happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens uh, until you get, until you get to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's, that's it. And then you just, I just started, start at the beginning. I never write like a scene from the middle first. I always just start right at the beginning. And yeah. right all the way through. And it usually takes me about two weeks. Two weeks is pretty good. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. quite efficient. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. Well, with, like, well, with this kind of thing, it's so formulaic that like, right. I, if you get going, it's not too hard to write like five to 15 pages in a day. Yeah, yeah. you kind of just know where it's going to go. And you can fall into certain conventions, I guess. And, exactly. And help those guide you. Yeah, and yeah. you try not to do the most like obvious convention. You like to be like, okay, what's what's the second most likely or third most likely yeah. thing that yeah. could happen? Like, Maybe a little bit of subversion. Yeah, like this, these they could get snowed in, and it's like, oh no, they no, that's like that's the least, that's, the, that's the most likely like thing to happen. <laughs> yeah. You have to you have to like, okay, no, like something a little bit different. So yeah, yeah. Um, so do you like you don't worry too much about. Like you, you don't worry too much about structure in terms of like, um, like you're not following like Save the Cat or anything and just kind of mimicking, uh, mimicking that. You're just kind of writing what what feels right, I guess. Yeah, they're usually about nine acts. Some places are more picky about what your scripts look like when you send them in. Um, mm. But I found that those places are usually the less uh, like big guy places the littler guys Uh, who are like trying really hard (laughs) are usually a little bit more picky with their scripts whereas the big guys are pretty are a little bit more free and i can send in something that has you know eight acts or seven acts and they're not gonna complain because they know that that's like really easy to fix you just yeah that's something that i don't that i don't think should be should even be like worried about uh like how many acts something has I think yeah really silly to latch onto but they do so if I am sending something somewhere new I try to have nine acts um they can have up to 13 um 
can be, <laughs> can be quite a bit. Um, but they're pretty, they're pretty short in that case. Then they're like 10 pages, 10 page acts. Yeah. Um, but usually they're like eight to 15 pages, sometimes 20, um, for the, for the middle acts. But, um, but I don't really, I know I have a lot of writer friends who really go for like the save the cat and, and, and follow, um, really, um, um, like if they're going to write something formulaic like this, they, uh, they, they approach it more formulaically, I guess, um, which does make sense, but it's just not the way that I have to have a bit of fun. So I just kind of start at the beginning and every 10 to 20 pages, I put in an act break. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Cause some people can say like, Oh, on this page, this has to happen. And on this page, this has to happen. Like not even like, like just raw numbers. And I guess, yeah, I guess some people it works for them, but that, that is a bit too, like for us too, it's like a bit too much, um, too rigid. Yeah, it's really rigid and it's, it sort of um, misses the, misses the, uh, the like, the idea that I think is really important that it's more about what it feels like than what it looks like on paper. Uh, because we all know that one page of, of dialogue is not the same same as one page of action um, yeah so I think the idea that things should happen on certain pages is kind of silly yeah um and if someone really likes your script idea they're like my knitting for Christmas one I don't know how many acts that had it certainly wasn't exactly right um yeah but if someone works, likes if it works yeah and like it started out as a Christmas movie but they liked the idea and they were like okay rewrite it just take out the Christmas stuff <laughs> and like you would think that would be a deal breaker but apparently not yeah yeah okay well um so I, I guess we'll go one more break the, if that's okay we'll one more good. break yeah and then, um, we'll, and then we'll we'll wrap up wrap it up bit. yeah um so yeah we're gonna go to go, go to another song and uh we will see you all back uh after that Friday at noon, CITR takes you on a journey through Thunderbird Radio Land. A journey of sound and song, of words and music, of the now and then, of the right here and the far away. It's the Eclectic Lunch, every Friday at 12 noon on Thunderbird Radio, 101.9 FM in beautiful Vancouver. The haunting debut album Black Moon by Civic TV provides a cinematic backdrop, a modern-day symphony of the dark and light that is our collective reality. 
Take a listen to Black Moon, now available via Flemish Eye Records and on all streaming platforms. Robots need love too. This is Dan Mangan, and you are listening to CITR 101.9 in Vancouver and surrounding university area. They want to be loved by robots, need love too. They want to be loved by you. Hey, welcome back to The Real World on 101.9 uh, CITR Radio. Uh, we're joined again by Becca Johansson. Um, uh, so yeah, we just finished talking about a little bit of your writing process. Uh, it was like really interesting to hear. Um, Liam and I are writers too. So like, it's interesting to compare and contrast, I, I guess, how, how we write versus how you write. And, and, and I think writing is probably like a, it's unique for everyone. Everyone has like a little bit of a different style that, that works for them. So, um, that's really amazing. Um, just wanted to ask if like, if you have anything that you're specifically working on right now or future goals that you're, that you're looking forward to. Um, yeah. So just things that you're looking forward to and like, and I guess the short term, or even long term, what you're looking for. Yeah. Honestly, I think the, the, the dream for me would be, you know, writing one or two, um, rom-com features a year uh and just um have like build basically the next couple of years is just going to be building relationships with production companies Mm -hmm. um so sometimes they won't always take a script that you send them but they will ask you if you'd be willing to write something if they gave you an idea um Mm -hmm. so uh sort of just building relationships and um trying to uh convince production companies to either make your stuff or get you to write their stuff Uh, because once you're on one of those rosters especially for things like uh tv writing uh either episodic or uh tv movies they stick with the same people a lot of the time so um, once you get to know enough people, you kind of just work regularly, which um, I like film is such an unpredictable job that uh, I think this has all of the all of the things that I love about movies, which is uh, just like really fun stories that aren't, um, you know, they're not mind benders. They're they're stuff that is it's, it's just fun stuff and just making things that people enjoy and hoping that you get to do it enough to support yourself uh, Mm -hmm. year to year. Um, There are, you know, there's always going to be like more lean years and then years where you have way more work to do, even if uh, it's not paid. Like sometimes when I'm sending out spec stuff, um, I'll get, you know, several people wanting changes to, to spec scripts or uh, pitches at the same time. And then I find like I'm working, 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 working when I didn't think I would be uh, for several weeks. And then it's like pretty quiet. Um, So the fact that I don't have any childcare and I have a three and a half year old at home, I think that actually like it works pretty well because then when I really just need to like dump the kid on my husband, I can and (laughs) just like go to a coffee shop. And like when I got that, uh, that phone call that said that I needed to change my Christmas script to a springtime rom-com. I was just like, okay, like here's the baby. (laughs) She wasn't even two at the time. And I was like, here's the baby. I'm going to go down to like Starbucks or Tim Hortons and just like, I think most of that script was edited at the Irish pub uh, <laughs> that's near my house <laughs> yeah. uh, and just like left the house for two weeks and just like worked pretty solid. And honestly, if I could get a year's salary for like two weeks of the initial script and then like I never touch, I never edit in between, like why yeah. bother? Everyone's going to want changes. Like everyone sticks their hands into these things and wants so yeah. much that that like write a first draft and then maybe a second draft don't fuss about it too much because everybody's going to want to change it and you'll be really sad because they cut out all your babies yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like i love this scene so much and they're like i'm sorry we have to kill it yeah you um, have to kill your babies you have to That's... kill your babies yeah. so don't get like super attached which i think is also why i love doing these uh these scripts because um they are not like they're not super precious in that they're not my like 
they're not my magnum opus they are uh they're just like it's just a really fun job so I hope that I get to keep doing that and selling scripts and um basically I've just been I've been working more with producers uh so you you sort of just get hooked up with like a creative producer at a production Mm. company generally after you and have like general meetings where you talk about ideas that you have or scripts that you've already written that they might like they tell you what they might like and then you send stuff back and forth until something clicks so I've got a couple that like are either on option uh, or on shopping agreements, which means that they're trying to find money for them. So some of these things, it'll be like three years after and they'll be like, oh yeah, we're going to make it. So yeah, (laughs) it's not like you can't, you can't just stop and wait for the next one to be made. You got to just keep, keep writing them. So right now I'm in the process of starting this, uh, this um one about a uh an entomologist uh, a scientist so it's yeah. my, like and i like coming up with with good jobs for the women too because it's sometimes a little bit some of the hallmark ones the women's jobs aren't uh i don't <laughs> know the they're not very yeah. feminist <laughs> yeah yeah um i guess i guess would you have like any advice for someone who's trying to get into like your line of work like the writing for tv movies yeah just uh write uh write a bunch of specs about things that you know about so if you know if you know about playing the guitar write something about someone who teaches the guitar if you work at a coffee shop write about somebody who works at a coffee shop like just go with whatever you know and pick the things that you that you know about in your life and you're like oh I actually have a decent amount of knowledge about like uh, I wrote one about a stained glass artist because when I was a kid my mom did stained glass art and I knew all of the terms and I knew how things were put together so it was easy to write that script so Mm -hmm. I would say uh, don't just go for things that are cool write about stuff that you have like a decent amount of knowledge on Um, just like even even if it's something that seems kind of silly I, you know, my first, my first feature sold was about knitting and yarn. And (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think when I took up knitting as a procrastination in university that it would end up uh, being my first paid, my first paid writing gig. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I guess, uh, I guess one more question for, because we're kind of wrapping up now, you mentioned that uh, these films are not your magnum opus. I would be like, do you have like a one idea that you would love to, to, to do at some point? Like, is there one thing where it's like, oh, one day I'll write this or I've already written it and one day I'd like to see it made. Do you have one of those? Um, I, I don't, I'm not really a writer that, uh, that has like that one baby, you know, there's, yeah. there's writers will have this one. They'll be like, I thought of this when I was, you know, 19 and I've been like wanting to have it made for 15 years or whatever. Uh, I, I think my attention span is a little bit shorter than that. So uh, uh, I, I think though I have, I, I think I, I'd like to do uh, something other than a TV movie as my magnum opus, probably, yeah. uh, but mm-hmm. probably, but probably TV. I don't know if, I don't know if uh, like feature uh, films that play in cinemas. I don't know if that's really where I want to be as I think I, I think I want to be accessible that's yeah, like yeah. even my even my student films like going back like there's you know there'd be student film screenings and we've all seen student films and there's a lot of uh like intense stuff and people trying to be really artistic and people <laughs> wanting to be you know Darren Aronofsky or whoever and yeah. uh wanting to uh to be very serious filmmakers um but I never saw that for myself. I always made the silly ones. I had the comedy or the, or the sci-fi romance or the, you know, yeah. something that, something that, um, that was, it was always like the, the, the silly piece at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're kind of the same way of the stuff we're, we're not, we, we try and do the, the fun, the fun genre stuff too. Yeah. We're not really into the, the... we appreciate camp. We're yeah. not too self-serious. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's a good place to be. Yeah, I so. think you have to embrace it because you can make a career out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, that was, this was a really awesome talk. And thank you so much, Becca, for joining us. Um, and thank you everyone for listening to the real world this week. Um, 
just ask you to keep your eye out on our the Instagrams and uh, Instagram, our Facebook, media. our social media. Um, we're planning on showing student films uh, in person at the at the norm. Uh, I in the life building, I think it's we we got this wrong last week. I think it's November twenty. I'm going to say 27th. In any case, keep an eye out on our social media and uh, we'd really love to see as many of you out there to, to come see some student films, which um, you don't often get to see those in theaters. So yeah. for the, the filmmakers who are getting to show them and for people coming to get to see student films, it'll be a really awesome event. So yeah, well, and I have um, the film going, so yeah. yeah. So thank you, Becca, for joining us and uh, see you all in two weeks. All right. Okay, I'm just going to stop the recording. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much. That was awesome. That was great.